From Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And before we jump into today's podcast, a word from our sponsor, Tequila Ocho. Tequila Ocho is the world's first single estate tequila, growing and harvesting only the very ripest agaves from their family-owned fields in the highlands of Jalisco, one field harvested for each of their annual vintages. Where some take shortcuts, Ocho is made in the old-fashioned way and takes care to ensure maximum agave flavor in your glass. Every expression is certified 100% additive-free. Can't wait to talk about that, actually. Underlining the purity and nobility of this magical tequila. And we are going to talk about a lot about tequila today, uh, Zach. But before we do, what are you drinking? Well, uh, tequila, but uh, we'll save that <laughs> for the for the interview because uh, the the uh, sample bottles of, of tequila Ocho showed up yesterday and I wasted very little time getting into them. Uh, but but other than that, um, I think that the thing that I have been uh, sort of most excited about, uh, and this is going to seem maybe silly to you, I apologize, is uh, hot toddies. I know we've had conversations about hot drinks before and, and your general disdain for them. But I will say that um, I have found that somehow this year with being stuck inside, um, and then most of the time I go outside is playing with my son at the park. Like mm-hmm. in the afternoon when we get back in, like the thing that I want most, like it's a little too late in the day for me to drink coffee. Uh, it's like, you know, I'm not going to make myself hot chocolate. Um, sometimes I'll make him hot chocolate. Uh, is like, I want like a warm cocktail. And yeah. the hot toddy has the, you know, the express benefit of being relatively easy. You know, I don't fuck with hot buttered rum. My wife does that <laughs> occasionally, but it's like, I just can't, it's, I don't, drinking butter seems a little much to me. I don't know why. Uh, totally. And, uh, and so, yeah, so I've just been making myself hot toddies from time to time. Um, I am, you'll find this uh, to be zero surprise. Uh, we are the kind of household that has multiple different kinds of honey around. So I've been playing around with whether like the chestnut honey is noticeably different than just sort of the standard honey that we have. Uh, it isn't actually, as it turns out, uh, at least to me, but uh, yeah, just like, you know, some, some honey, some lemon, some mostly whiskey, occasionally rum and hot water, but it's, it's, you know, it's like fucking delicious. And, and when I've been, you know, at the playground for two hours with my son in, 40 degree weather it's actually kind of nice to come in and warm up with that while he has you know a snack or something how about you so i have recently well i mean so basically last weekend uh was extremely cold but you know tim mccurdy and i decided to uh we had to take one for the team and we spent the entire sunday in the park here in brooklyn to socially distance taste uh 80 bottles of champagne (laughs) for the annual uh, champagne lists that came out today when we're recording Thursday, the 10th, the best uh, champagnes under hundred dollars. And then tomorrow is going to be like the, the baller list, like, you know, the best champagnes for every different kind of occasion you would need. So, you know, I just, I really, I, I did, I did a service to humanity, um, drank a lot of champagne. Uh, it was very funny. Cause you know, there was tons of people like kind of walking to the park. First of all, wondering what two guys were doing out there for hours in literally, you know, below freezing weather. And also why there were all these bottles of champagne sitting out on this one table that we had, <laughs> which was pretty funny. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's, that's, that's my most recent drinking experience. And then that night I, uh, I had, um, a, a, I had a bottle of Krug. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, I, had a bottle of Krug. I have to ask, did you like, uh, trap, was it like, uh, moths to the flame with the champagne and sommeliers? I feel like you might've drawn a crowd. So there was a Psalm who was in the park who, <laughs> of course. Did, who did see that we were tasting champagne and did come over. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Did, Which you was, give, did you give them a glass? 
We did. Yeah. We, uh, we had it. I happened to have an extra glass in the bag and I was like, Hey man, you know, we're drinking all these like plastic stemless, like wine glasses. Don't judge us. It's the park. Uh, do you want to have some training? And he was like, yeah, <laughs> so, of course. Um, yeah. He like, he walked over cause he, he'd recognized a few of the labels yeah. as one, as, as, as they do. Um, uh-huh. one of those labels being a, a, a pretty well-known, um, Pierre Peters, like oh, grower yeah, champagne. Yeah, yeah. And he like walked over and he's like, ah, and we're like, oh, and we also are tasting Krug. And he's like, oh, can I have a glass of that? <laughs> oh, um, my God, dude. Way to yeah. be so predictable. I mean. <laughs> it was really it was really funny. <laughs> I'd have probably done the same thing if I was there. But, you know, that's cool. Yeah, it, it was actually. Yeah, it was, it was a really funny thing because I, I never – I didn't know who would come over. Because, like, look, man, I, like, I live in a, in a Brooklyn neighborhood. I, like, I mean, I know there are Psalms around, but I didn't know, like, who would see it. Um, and – Obviously, my joke was it was just gonna be like someone who just knew champagne or saw probably one of the bottles. Like, hey, can I get that? We actually, it was it was nice. We got to give some of the the bottles that had been opened to people who were sitting in the park. Oh, cool. Um, there was a there was like a nice couple that was on a date. Um, and we walked over and we're like, hey, like we promise we have not done anything to this. We've literally been pouring in the glasses and like spitting it out and whatever. Like, do you want this really nice bottle of champagne? And they're like, thank you so much. This is like our third date. <laughs> that was really cool. Um, but Adam, yeah, you're, you're, funny you and Tim are gonna be over. part of their meet cute. How adorable. Oh, I can't wait. I mean, Tim was like, this is the best. Um, but it was funny that we did see a sommelier. <laughs> uh, it is funny, but I am 0% surprised by that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so I'm super I'm super pumped for today's conversation because we're not going to talk about champagne. We're going to talk about tequila. Uh-huh. And we are very lucky to have Jesse Estes on with us. Jesse, what's up? Hi, guys. How are we doing? Thanks for having me on. Good, good, man. Um, so you are with Tequila Ocho. Um, what tell us a little bit about what you do. I am the global brand ambassador for Tequila Ocho, so primarily in advocacy and education, um, but I do international marketing. I am on the one half of the international sales team as well with my, with my colleague, Salvador. And so I do a little bit of everything. It's, uh, it was founded by my father, so it's a family business. And um, yeah, it's very, very much uh, kind of a hybrid job role. We all do a little bit of everything in the company. So talk to us a little bit before we just get into tequila in general about Tequila Ocho. As you said, founded by your dad, which is super cool. But yeah, how did the company come to be? Uh, you know, how did the liquid come to be? All that, all that delicious stuff. So the liquid is produced by uh, a gentleman by, called Carlos Camarena. So Carlos is a fifth generation uh, master distiller. His, his great-great-grandfather uh, was producing tequila back in the 1880s uh, in the highlands of Jalisco in Los Altos. And um, so they have a long kind of history within his family of tequila production. Then in in kind of my family's side, our story is that my father is the official tequila ambassador. So his name is Tomas Estes. He's the official tequila ambassador from Mexico to the European Union. Um, And that's a whole other story about how he how he became the the official ambassador. Um, But he met Carlos in the mid 90s and they kind of hit it off and became good friends and then about 15 years ago, Carlos approached my dad and said, you know, Tomas, I've been thinking, I would love to start a tequila brand with you. And my dad, Carlos, his, his family's brands are called uh, Tapatio, which has been in production since 1937, and El Tesoro, which has been around since the late 80s. And those were his two favorite brands. Carlos was his favorite producer. Um, La Alteña, where, where all these brands are produced, it was his favorite distillery. So he didn't think twice. He just said, yes, absolutely, let's do this. And two years later, um, the result was Tequila Ocho. So what sets Tequila Ocho apart from a lot of the other tequilas that obviously are are coming out of Mexico 
recently, right? Newer tequilas, I mean, um, newer brands, et cetera. Obviously, we're going to talk about additives in tequila. Um, but like, was there a idea that your father and, and Carlos had together of like, this is what we're going to do that's, you know, different? Yeah, I think there's a few things that really set Ocho apart from other tequilas in the market, but there really is one thing that no one else does. Um, I mean, a few other brands have have since tried to replicate that, but we're the only tequila brand that does this with every single bottle produced in that. And, and we were talking, you guys were talking about champagne earlier. And by the way, I, I really, really feel for you, Adam. That sounds like. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so sorry. Uh, I appreciate the sympathy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we very much took a page from from the wine world um, in expressing ourselves or, or, or finding the expression of terroir in tequila. So we are the first single field tequila on the market. What that means is that every single bottle of tequila ocho, I've got I've got a bottle in front of me. I know you guys. Uh, I know Zach was saying he does as well. Uh, you look at the neck label if you're at home listening and happen to have some tequila ocho around. You'll actually see the name of the field and the year of harvest. And that on the kind of lower label is the same thing. So in, the one in front of me is Los Patos is the name of the field. And the year of harvest was 2016. So you can go on our website. You can actually see a map of all the different fields that we've harvested to date, which is now 20, we're harvesting the 25th field right now. And you can click on those fields and see the elevation, the soil composition, uh, the orientation towards the sun, the average sugar content for the um, for the uh, the harvest. I mean, it gets really geeky, right? So maybe it's maybe it's too in depth for some people, but it's really looking at this idea of single vineyard wines. And again, ta- you, you guys talking about champagne, been this understanding in the wine world for hundreds of years that if we produce a single vineyard wine in exactly the same way, using the exact same grape variety, the fields can be adjacent. They can be, you know, a se- several yards apart. And those two wines are going to be very different. In tequila, that was less well understood until Tequila Ocho. And we were really kind of the, the first pioneer to champion this, this concept of terroir in the tequila category. So that's that's kind of one of the things that really sets Ocho apart. So uh, just piggybacking on that notion, I'm curious, you know, one thing that, that is interesting to me, of course, about tequila is, you know, it's an expression of one specific type of, of, of agave blue Weber. Is it noticeably different in some of the different fields you grow? In other words, when you when you harvest the agave, are the pinas like, do, can you tell the difference or could, or could, you know, maybe not you specifically, but but someone who is really experienced in that part, if you're not? Do they look physically different or is it just a difference in flavor? Yeah. So, well, this is, we've got to kind of take a detour here and, and I'm trying, I'll try not to make this too complicated, but it's exactly what you said. So tequila can only use one specific variety that what we call the blue agave or the agave tequilana Weber Azul. And the blue agave is actually a monoculture. So there's not going to be, that means that there's very little uh, little to no genetic diversity within that whole variety. So there will be some noticeable differences, especially in terms of size. So even though this is a monoculture, we can have the same exact field and the agaves can be all the same age, but some are like 10, 12, 15 kilos, which is quite small in terms of the size. 
of the agave and, and the piña, which is the agave heart. And some can be like 50, 60, 70, 80 kilos, and they can be right next to each other. So they do develop quite differently. And again, in terms of sugar content, they can be very different. They can fluctuate. So uh, there will be differences in the agaves themselves, even within one field. Um, but I think what we really look for is the difference in, in flavor. And, you know, very importantly, Ocho is produced the same way every batch. So the differences are quite subtle. You, I wouldn't expect, you know, if you buy Ocho Plata today and then you buy it again in a year, it's not going to be crazy different, right? The, the Plata is an example. We're still going to have this very fresh herbaceous note, this cooked agave, honey, sweetness, um, really crisp minerality. And, and that has a lot to do with our water source, this kind of cracked white pepper and these really lively citrus notes. Those are going to be in all tequila ocho platas, but then we may find some, find some more subtle, nuanced differences from batch to batch. Very similar to wine, you know, you'd have a house style. And then again, for each vintage, you'll have some differences in, in flavor profile. So I'm not sure if that makes sense. They're very much like uh, like children in a family sharing the same DNA, and every sibling has a kind of different, uh, unique characteristic to to him or her. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. So, I mean, are you of the opinion then? So obviously, you know, in the U.S., we've we obviously romanticize like añejo, extra añejo, et cetera. And I know you guys obviously make an añejo, but is in your opinion like is Blanco the best way to to truly appreciate, you know, the tequila of a of a certain house or to really see what that tequila actually tastes like and 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 really have the fullness of the agave? Um is that what I should be starting with or how would you recommend beginning to start tasting tequila and trying to understand a producer like yourselves? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Adam, in terms of comparing Blanco or Plata and and aged expressions. Um, I used to work for years and years in cocktail bars um, before taking on this role. And I had, especially in London where I worked, um, you know, the, the, the understanding around tequila was, was not where it is in the U.S., let's say. So there were a lot of people that came and said, oh, you know, I don't want any tequila. Don't give me that. And, you know, I would really find the right approach to get them into the category, which very often was through the aged expressions. But as they got comfortable with tequila and started enjoying uh, well-made, good good quality tequila, I would try and kind of move them towards the Blancos. Um, because to me, and like you said, I'd have people come to me and say, I love this brand. I love their Añejo. I don't like their Blanco. In that case, what they're really enjoying is, is the wood, the, the effect of the barrel, rather than base tequila. Because if you don't like the Blanco from that producer or that brand, you know, that's, you don't really like the kind of tequila aspect, the, the, the raw or material or the base. So I, to me, that's the true test of, uh, of any tequila brand or, or range is really the Blanco, like you said. Uh, Jesse, I'm really curious since you mentioned both your your role previously in uh, when you were talking about your job as as being you know the global brand ambassador, and then also mentioned, of course, working in London, and, and hinted at the sort of maybe differing opinion of or, or different perceptions of tequila in the United States uh, or in Mexico versus other parts of the world. Is it is it easier or harder to kind of get the concept of tequila ocho across to people in, in the U S or in other countries, like how is that different? Because, you know, I, I think of, you know, probably Adam and I could both 
confidently say that, you know, uh, tequila was a part of our alcohol journey, you know, uh, along with lots of other things early on, yes. you know, there's a lot of tequila in this country and it certainly is less true in other countries. So, so what is the, what is that sort of experience like? Yeah. So, you know, being based in the UK, the UK leads Europe, first of all, I would say in terms of the understanding and, and the kind of premium level of tequila or premium perception of tequila, let's say, um, whereas the, the rest of Europe is still kind of catching up with that. And the UK is still, I would say, a good 10 years behind the US. So, you know, we, we've done a lot of great work. When I say we, I, I mean us as a brand and also lots of other um, high quality tequila brands that are just really trying to educate consumers about um, what tequila is, because there's this kind of negative stigma that's left over from people drinking very low end tequilas, having, you know, getting sick or having a bad hangover or whatever it is. They kind of swear off tequila and we're kind of getting those drinkers back now in the last 10 years, it feels like. So um, we've done a lot of great work. We've got a lot of work ahead of us, but you know, it is, it is changing. It is shifting, but the U S is, especially in terms of super premium and ultra premium tequilas and just any spirits actually um, is just way ahead of the rest of the world. So Jesse, got to ask you a question. So you say additive free. You want to, I want to ask you a question. I'm very curious about additive free, but I also want to um, ask you if what someone else told me is bullshit or not. <laughs> so <laughs> um Obviously, we all care about you know what is going into the things that we consume. So I had a you know we had someone come into the office I think a year and a half ago, and they said if you take tequila and you put it in your hand and you rub it between your hands and your hands come out clean and smelling like agave, there's no additives. But if they're sticky, there are additives. Is that bullshit? No, no, no. And that's something I use as well. Uh, okay, cool. So that is a, that is actually a way to tell. Well, it's not a conclusive way, but. Okay. It is a way. It is an indicator. It is one indicator, let's say. So yeah, if your hand is sticky, I mean, if you produce a normal, any spirit, whether it's vodka or, or, or gin or whatever, when it comes off the still, there's going to be no residual sugars in there. So, you know, there, that shouldn't be sticky to the touch. Things like sugar, uh, glycerin, caramel, some types of caramel anyway, will be sticky to the touch. So that will be one indicator. But if your hand's not sticky, it also doesn't mean that there's definitely no additives in that spirit. So talk to me about additives in tequila. Why is it important to be additive free and what additives can be in tequila in the first place? Like what could people add and how much of it could they add if they were adding something? So I kind of break it down. When people are talking about additive free, they're really talking about additives that are put into the tequila after distillation or after for reposado, añejo, extra añejo uh, classes. Um, but I actually, to me, there's, there's additives that can happen before distillation as well during the process. So when I say that tequila ocho is additive free, we are additive free from the time the agaves are planted. And most, we, we own all of our own fields, which is very important. And it's very unique in the tequila world. There's maybe two or three other producers that can, that can say that. Um, so we know that these fields, the soil, the plants, have not been subject to chemical pesticides, chemical herbicides, you know, fertilizers, things like that. In some cases, for more than a hundred years, most of the, most of these fields have been in the family for at least fifty years. So we know that we have not used any chemicals going back generations. Now, within the process, and I don't want to get too geeky here, but there are you know some producers, especially the bigger tequila houses, will use things like sulfuric acid 
or different accelerants throughout the production process. Okay. So those I also consider additives, you know, just in the same way that if my, uh, like you said, people are c- concerned about what they consume. If my vegetables, my broccoli or whatever has been sprayed with um, some kind of chemical, I would like to know that. To me, it's the same with with tequila. So that's one type of additive. The other type is what can be added after distillation and after aging. And those used to be limited to um, four or five different uh, specific additives. And a more recent kind of relaxation of the rules means that anything that's food safe can be added up to 1% of total volume. Now, you know, if we're talking about a 750 ml bottle, that's seven and a half milliliters. That doesn't sound like a lot. If you, you know, that's like a quarter of an ounce. It doesn't sound like a lot, but we're talking about extracts here. We're talking about concentrates and a little goes a very long way. Um, You know, it's like baking with vanilla extract or something like that. Anybody who's used that, you put a few drops in there and it really flavors that cake or whatever it is that that we're making. So I I have a question that is not about additives, but it is, I guess, in some sense about authenticity or at least honesty or something in this industry and, and, or could be about it, I suppose. And that is, you know, one thing that we've seen of late in particular, uh, as regards uh, tequila and tequila brands is this sort of explosion of celebrity tequilas. And I'm just curious, you know, I'm not, I have zero interest in, in sort of a commentary on the quality of those brands. I think some of them are probably pretty good, but I do wonder if there is some part that is, you know, a viewer or, 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 you know, whatever that feels like, you know, the, the, the work in large part of building the reputation of tequila has been the work of, of people in, in the business and who like you and, and, and the people that, you know, that, you know, who have been doing it for generations. And it is maybe, I don't know. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I just, I'm curious if you, if when you see someone like LeBron James, invest in it or, you know, or George Clooney before him or whoever invest in a tequila brand, what, what that, you know, I don't know. How do you view that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Zach. And I think it's, a, it's within my, this industry, the tequila industry, it's, it's quite a, can be quite a controversial topic right now. To me, I, I view it differently than a lot of my kind of colleagues, not at Ocho, just, just in the industry. Um, but I, th- you know, I think it's, I think it's a good thing for the category. I really do. You know, someone as famous as, as The Rock, I was just reading, you know, that, that they're, they're set to do 300,000 nine liter cases in year. Yeah. Three. That is insane. That, I think it's, I think it's a record for any, for any spirit. Um, at, at least that's what this article was saying. So yeah, it's a record for any, any celebrity spirit in history. And I think it's the biggest debut of any spirit in the last, I don't know, five or 10 years. Massive. That's huge. And that that attention to me is great for the category. Clooney selling, you know, Casamigos for almost a billion US dollars to Diageo. You know, that that attracts a lot of attention. And people, I think people start to take uh, tequila as a category a bit more seriously. So for me, I, you know, again, no commentary on, on the product, on the quality of these products. But, you know, I just think that it's bringing a lot of attention to the category. And I don't think that's a bad thing. So Jesse, I mean, obviously you mentioned your um, background in, uh, you know, as a bartender making cocktails. So I got to ask you, right? We all know the margarita, the Paloma, but like what are cocktails people should be making with tequila that you don't think they currently are that would blow their minds? That's a great question. Um, You know, and and I think Zach was mentioning toddies earlier. My whole thing is that anything that gin, vodka, rum, whiskey, whatever it is can do 
tequila can do better. So, um, you know, or let's say, let's be less controversial and say it can do as well. So, you know, things <laughs> like the cocktail I used to make people that would come into the bar and say, I hate tequila, never touching that stuff. I'd say, great, I'll make you a drink. You know, this is pre-COVID days, obviously. If you don't like it, I'll drink it and I'll make you whatever else you want. And of course, I won't charge you for it. And the one I would go to was was using Ocho Blanco or Ocho Plata in as the base of, in a clover club. Um, wow. I just, you know, raspberry, egg white, wow, you know, just like very easy to drink. And maybe if, if I've done that, you know, 300 times, maybe one or two people sent it back and said, no, no, I don't want this. So it's, it's, it's kind of a crowd pleaser. I just think, you know, old fashions, it's just about finding the right tequila. Uh, Manhattan twists. Um, I do one that's, that's really nice with, um, kind of a, a rich, uh, sweet vermouth, like uh, Carpano Antica formula and a little bit of Chinar, which is an Italian artichoke bitter and uh, Picon, which is a French bitter. And it's just delicious with Ocho Añejo. So to me, it's like the sky's the limit when it comes to cocktails and tequila. You mentioned one of my absolute favorite combos with uh, Reposado Añejo tequila, which is Chinar. For some reason, I don't know if it's just in my head that they're both like, they have their both kind of vegetal character, especially with like a really good uh, tequila where you're getting some of that, but it's a little more muted in the aged expressions. I've been always love playing around with that. And I think it's a super great combination. So I'm glad I'm not alone on that. Uh, on that <laughs> island. And I think with, with mezcal too, that kind of artichoke bitter works well. I love, I mean, I, I I'm going to be lame here, but I really like a tequila Negroni. <laughs> the answer for Adam is always the whatever Negroni. That's just his. I his, like Negronis, man. What can I say? It's a great cocktail. We're not arguing. Yeah. Well, Jesse, this has been really awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us about, you know, tequila in general, Ocho. I mean, I cannot wait to open um, my bottle tonight and make tequila Negronis. Um, <laughs> I just and- cannot believe you've waited. I, I find that hard to believe. It came yesterday, man. Calm down. Yeah, I didn't wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying this new thing. I think we talked about it. I'm not drinking three nights a week. So gotcha. it was on one of my nights when I wasn't drinking. So I was like, oh, I'm going to do it Thursday night. It'd be fun. Um, but Jesse, this was awesome. I mean, I, I really appreciate your knowledge um, and, and you taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you so much. Adam, Zach, thank you guys so much. And uh, enjoy the tequila this evening. Awesome. Will do. Zach, talk to you next week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced by myself and Zach Jabal. It is also mixed and edited by him. Yeah, Zach, we know you do a lot. I'd also like to thank the entire Vine Pair team, including my co-founder, Josh, and our associate editor, Catalyst. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Tequila Ocho is the world's first single estate tequila, growing and harvesting only the very ripest agaves from their family-owned fields in the highlands of Jalisco, one field harvested for each of their annual vintages. Where some take shortcuts, Ocho is made in the old-fashioned way and takes care to ensure maximum agave flavor in your glass. Every expression is certified 100% additive-free. Can't wait to talk about that, actually. Underlining the purity and nobility of this magical tequila.